I know I get chills now recounting it even years later because it was such a chilling moment. I paused and took in what he was saying and I took in all the parallels of what he was saying in other areas of my life and I thought to myself, oh crap, because I said love, honor, and cherish this guy till death do you part in front of all my friends and family and I've never listened to an entire story out of his mouth. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better. Start now. Let's go. Hey guys, it's Ella. Listen, before we jump in, I need to tell you a couple of things about today's episode. First of all, it's not for littles. So if you have any little people around, you may want to listen to this one with earphones on. We are jumping into a lot of adult topics. And honestly, I started bleeping some of the words and then I just gave up. (laughs) So you'll hear some bleeps at the beginning. I stopped censoring us about a third of the way through. So just be aware of that. But also, it's more about just the content of what we're talking about more so than the adult language. Okay, so you have been warned. Now, you may recognize Lori Gerber's references to the Handel Group. That's because back in episode, what was it, 166, one of my favorite books of 2018 was Maybe It's You, Cut the Crap, Love Your Life, something like that. Anyway, it was by Lauren Handel Zander. Lauren Handel Zander founded the Handel Group. Lori Gerber is one of the relationship expert coaches with the Handel Group. So I talked to her not long after I interviewed Lauren, and I never released this episode. So I think that's so funny how those things work out because here it is for you now, post episode 166, and then post the episode I recently did with my husband. And I'm so glad that it worked out this way. I highly, highly recommend that you listen to 166 and then you listen to 186, either before or after this episode, okay? 166 and 186. That would be a relationship binge. I think you might find it interesting. Lori was post-baby, near a divorce with her husband, and stuff got real for her. And she shares a lot of that experience with us today. So we're going to talk about what it was like to come back from a near divorce experience with her husband, where they are now, and what tools she employed to fix things and to set them on another course, on a different course, on a different trajectory. Now, bear in mind, when some of the concepts come up, she is speaking specifically to a marriage, to a long-term partnership. A lot of the principles that we talk about, they're not particularly pertinent to casual dating or non-intimate, non-long-term partnerships. That doesn't mean that you won't benefit from them if you're not in a marriage or a long-term partnership, okay? But I just want to be super clear because if you extrapolate some of these concepts and take them out of context and apply them to others, frankly, I can't get behind them. We're talking about vulnerability and intimacy with a trusted partner. So I just wanted to throw that caveat in here, okay? I am super, super interested in your feedback on this episode. Let me hear it. Share with me in social media, whatever you got. All right, so let's jump in with Lori. Here we go. 
Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and it's my pleasure to introduce you today to Lori Gerber. Hey Lori, welcome to the show. Hi Ella, thanks for having me. Lori, you have worked for almost a decade with Lauren Handel Zander of episode 166 fame, who came on the air and sort of kicked everybody's butt in talking about her book, Maybe It's You, and about the Handel coaching method. You might think I sound like her even. It's been it's been more like 16 years that I've been sitting with her, so don't be surprised if we sound alike. Well, I have noticed there's a certain I, there's a certain cast about the Handel group and the badass group of women that run it, and I am absolutely thrilled to get you on the air today to talk more about relationships. Will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? I am one of the handful of executives that help build Handel Group. I have been at the top of the life coaching division for many years, since really since its very beginning, and uh, running that and creating programs through that and helping to train the coaches. And so my personal specialty has always been in love, couples coaching, families, you know, anything to do with your personal life, which is so incredibly influenced by your relationships, of course. So I continue to do couples retreats and weekend programs and, you know, talk on film and radio and anywhere that anyone will listen about what I've learned, not only from my own near divorce experience, but from working with literally thousands and thousands of people. So you know, we're going to get to that. I'm happy to share, happy to share whatever, you, whatever you need to know about my dirty laundry. So you can trust that I <laughs> have learned a few things. And I really, I don't coach anything I don't personally use and believe in because I feel like that falls flat in one of the cool things about the handle method and actually why it worked on me is because I looked at Lauren and she was doing it right. When I met her, we both had a little tiny baby, a marriage, a body, a career, a business, trying to manage it all in Manhattan. And I was exhausted, overweight, addicted to sugar, blowing off my relationship with my husband, not sleeping. Like just, I was pathetic. And I was like, isn't this how it's supposed to look when you have a baby? And she looked exactly the opposite. She was literally bouncing around. She was back to her pre-pregnancy weight. Her kid was sleeping through the night at six weeks. She was eating healthy. She was loving it. She was, you know, loving on her husband. They didn't seem to have any problem getting it on again. And I just was like, okay, I must have missed a class. Like we, you know, we're the same, but she's so different. And that's why I hired her way back then. It was about 15 years ago. I still, to this day, you know, love having her voice in my head because she, she, is willing to say things to me that nobody else is that changed my mind. We were and remain a very nice match and pair in terms of, you know, getting this method out in the world. Do you mind diving into, you've touched on it. Do you mind diving into a little bit of your marriage experience once, once you made a baby and what that was like yeah. for you? It's interesting because, you know, I, I pitched this topic as why my husband won't cheat on me, you know, which is like a very audacious, obnoxious thing to say, like, my husband's not going to cheat on me, right? When so many do, of course. Um, but the reason I actually feel like I can say that now is because he absolutely could have because I was really tanking my marriage and had no idea I was doing it. I was so, so checked out. So justified because I had kids justified because I gave it the office justified because many, many reasons of why I didn't prioritize or pay attention to my relationship. And so he, he did start flirting with someone else. <laughs> it, it did take that for me to go, Oh wait, I can lose this. Let me, let me, okay, I don't actually want to lose this. Like <laughs> I'd like to actually keep this and maybe it's me. So just to back up, when I when you go to coaching, as I'm sure Lauren told you all, you have to look at every area of your life mm -hmm. and you have to dream in every area of your life. So 
I wasn't even paying attention to that area. I was like, oh, you know, that'll wait until my kids are grown, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Such a bad plan. Okay. <laughs> Such a bad plan. So, um, so when she asked me what was my dream, it was really, I mean, it's a cliche, right? Many, many women will appreciate this and probably a lot of men too, is I wanted connection. I wanted intimacy. I wanted that feeling of togetherness. And I literally had no idea why I didn't have it, which is the next question or a coach will ask you is, okay, so you want something. Why don't you have it? What's your best theory? What's your best guess? And I was like, well, he's a, he's a jock. He's a man's man. He's like, you know, doesn't like talking about his feelings. I tried once and it didn't work out. So we went to our separate corners and now we're co-parenting and getting by and it's fine. She did not like that answer. As you can imagine, she was like, that is BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was mystified. Then her next brilliant coaching uh, came down on me, which was, why don't you go ask him? You know, if you if you really don't know, why don't you go ask? Which was interesting that I had not thought of that. Um, I was like, oh, you could just have a conversation? Brilliant. Okay. So I designed this whole conversation. I sit down with him. I've written out my notes. I've prepared. I've, you know, written a little a dream statement that I want to read to him. And I sit him down and I read it. And then I say, hey, honey, why do you think we don't have this? And at first he wants to blow me off again. He's like, you know, we're fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, the infamous, we're fine. <laughs> we're fi- fine. It's fine. Okay. My first thought is like, oh, good. I don't have to deal with it. And then my second thought is like, oh, oh, heck, I can't go back to Lauren and tell her I have no information. Right. So it's like the devil and the angel on my shoulders. Right. So then I go, honey, you know, like, I'm not going to be mad, whatever it is. I really want to know, would you please just give me a hint? You know, I'm just really turning on the grace and hoping for the best and believing I'm going to get an answer. And he goes, all right, you really want to know? I'll tell you. So here's the thing about talking with you. I have found that I usually get maybe two or three sentences out of my mouth before you interrupt. Yep. (laughs) Before you interrupt me. You you saw that coming? Yeah, I didn't. So, so, and he's like, listen, I know you get away with that with your girlfriends and you don't mean harm by it, but it is like a physical assault for me. And you take the conversation in a different direction. You make it about you. It's not even about what I was talking about. So there's no point in me even trying to go back. I stopped trying to talk to you years ago. Oh, gosh. Lori. I know. I know. I get chills now recounting it even years later because it was such a chilling moment. And that was one of those moments. I paused and and took in what he was saying. And I took in all the parallels of what he was saying in other areas of my life. And I thought to myself, oh, crap, because I said, love, honor, and cherish this guy till death do you part in front of all my friends and family. And I'd never listened to an entire story out of his mouth. What the heck? Mm -hmm. Like, How did I get away with that? And the answer is, well, we choose very wisely. But but the other answer is, I shouldn't have been getting away with that. But it, it explains why he would go flirt with someone else or want attention from someone else who wanted to hear what he had to say. And so it was a, a moment of truth. Gratefully, I knew I was going to have to report back to Lauren. So I did not defend myself. I did not excuse myself. I did not do anything other than actually apologize for probably the first time in my life for what I considered to be something that was very out of alignment with my highest ideal. Mm-hmm. And you could see his whole life flash before his face in that moment, too, because it was like, oh, well, if she's not going to be the reason why we can't communicate. I'm going to have to communicate, you know, like, so it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting interplay. Imagine what that conversation would have looked like if you sat him down and told him all the things he wasn't doing right. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what that's what we all do. We we go, oh, if they would change, then I could change. Exactly. Or I would blame my anxiety. Like, well, I just couldn't hold it in. I couldn't help it. I, 
what if I would forget what I was going to say? You know, like I had a million excuses, right? Which are all true, but irrelevant to my dream of intimacy. That's the thing about excuses. They're true. <laughs> it's right, exactly. But so what? They're, right. They're even noble <laughs> sometimes, right? Um, exactly. Right. Of course I should pay attention to my children. Who would tell me I should go my husband instead of pay attention to my children. Nobody's going to say that. Mm -hmm. But hey, guess what? (laughs) I should. (laughs) But nobody wants to, you know, it it is really noble sounding. It was noble. So guess what happened when I shut my mouth? I imagine that you started being more of what you wanted. So he started being like you showed up the way you needed to. And I would imagine that would sort of inspire him to show up the way that you wanted him to all along. It was magical and mathematical. When I was quiet, he talked. (laughs) That is very simple math. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And when he talked, it got interesting. And then I wanted to listen more. And the more I wanted to listen, the more he wanted to talk till now we can actually have conversations where he gets a whole story out. And by the way, he was raised by a minister, right? Very unlike my culture. But I've heard a few sermons in my day, and they usually put the punchline at the end. He has a way of telling stories so different from how I tell them. But it gets good. (laughs) It's really good if if you you can shut up and and be patient, which is, of course, something that's, you know, that I want to cultivate in myself. So it became, instead of the thing that was going to hurt us, right, our different cultures, it became the thing that helps us because it makes me more of who I want to be. And it makes him more of who he wants to be because he doesn't want to be a chicken who doesn't tell a story or who hides or who, you know, can't get a point across. He wants to be someone who's heard and who's powerful in life. And I want to be someone who can hear and can listen, you know, so we balance each other. And Lori, when you leave room for the other person to be themselves, like, first of all, when you've been together with someone for a long time, you don't leave room for their mystery anymore. Like, you don't leave room for the fact that they're a fully realized adult without you. Like, you just think they're the same five dimensions that you see every day. Exactly. And and Ella, by the way, for your listeners who are not in a relationship, this goes for dating, too. I can't tell you how many people I coach that are like, oh, it's the same date over and over again. I mean, how uncreative Mm -hmm. to think it's the same date when it's a different person. Of course, you're going to learn something interesting and new if you want to. If you want to. But but I understand because I wasn't learning anything new about my husband for 10 years. So I understand. You say part of the reason people get so frustrated with keeping romance alive is because they've been conditioned by movies and common culture to believe that if you are with the quote right person, all the romance and sparks should come as a matter of course and last forever. And you say, I want to teach you a different love story. Like sure, love and romance and hot Mm. sex, they, you know, they usually come easy when we're young or when the relationship is young. But after that, like it does take some work. Yeah. But we think that. Yeah. There's the freebie and then there's the thing you have to work for. And in our handout method, we actually teach our clients that the freebie is on purpose, just like a drug dealer will give you a free one. So you, you know, so you like it and you'll come back and buy more. But after the freebie, you got to actually earn money to afford your high. And it's the same thing in almost every area of life, whether it's fitness or, you know, loving a job that you have gotten over the honeymoon phase of or keeping a relationship hot is it's actually on purpose that it fades. I think, you know, from a spiritual perspective, it's because then you get to grow up and actually design the elements that would bring you that you get to mature, you get to be the person you wish to be using the relationship as a vehicle for that, which is, I think, a very high purpose for a relationship. Oh, I love that. Will you talk to me a little bit about what that actually looks like? 
Yeah. And it's interesting because in this day and age, it's changing with how equal we really are finding ourselves to be, men and women especially. It is really changing what we would use a relationship for, what we would use marriage for, what, you know, what a family looks like. It's all really so up for grabs in such a cool way. We really do get to redefine what we're using relationships for. And I, and I hope people can see the beauty of that you do pick your person on purpose. It's not it's not so straightforward, but often the thing you pick them for, the thing you love about them is also the thing that plugs you in, right? Mm-hmm. It has a dark side and a light side. And if you can, again, look at that as this is my, you know, what I sharpen my sword on versus this is the thing that's mm-hmm. going to kill us. You know, we're here together as a unit to evolve ourselves. Then obviously there's a lot more chance of making it and having fun making it and being able to forgive the the tension and the friction, I guess you could say, between like, for example, with my husband, his his chicken trait rubbed up against my selfish trait. Right. And at the beginning, that was great because he was like, all I want to do is give to this woman. Right. And so until I became a bottomless pit, that worked fine. Right. And I was like, oh, all I want to do is take. But that didn't really work for my self-esteem. So we had to renegotiate. So interesting. And and I think a lot of people who have been in partnerships for some time, they know that the thing that drew you in is often the thing that you, you know, make you want to like stab your own eyes out <laughs> within a, within a few yes. months, a few years or whatever. Yeah. I remember being like, I love how generous you are, but I don't like when you're generous with other people. That pisses me off because then you're taking out of my pot. And he's like, I, he didn't say, it, but my coach was like, um, you can't really pick and choose, right? Like he likes you because you're outspoken, which means you're going to be outspoken everywhere. You don't get, you don't get to love a thing about a human and then try to quarantine it to one room. doesn't work that way. But you asked me what it really looks like. And I think, I mean, when I work with couples who are trying to alchemize their struggles into something beautiful and into something growth producing and into something sexy, even the how to operates on, I would call it three different levels. Give me those three. Well, there's the spiritual or philosophical level where it's like, do you guys even agree philosophically? Right. Like, so I work with couples over the course of two days sometimes, and we get to go through everything, right? Literally, philosophically, do we agree that we should be equal? Do we agree that, you know, if I make more money, I should make the money decisions? Do we agree that um, we should have sex? You know, that that's part of a healthy relationship. Do we agree that you know, we shouldn't make parenting decisions without consulting the other. Like, do we agree philosophically? And be, just like human beings don't sit down and figure out their ideals, couples don't either, right? No. They don't negotiate. What are our ideals? Like, do I public school, private school, religion, no religion? Like, they don't negotiate the stuff that absolutely comes up and breaks up a relationship. So we sometimes have to go back and do a do-over and look at, okay, just philosophically, can we duke this out? And either find that we agree, we've just been implementing in a shitty way, or we don't agree and we could negotiate and both be happy, or we don't agree and we can negotiate and maybe that's a deal breaker. What do you say to people, what if they've been married for eight years and making stuff up here and they've never had that conversation before? Yeah, well, good news. (laughs) I had never had an intimate conversation with my husband after 10. And all I had to do was sit down with a dream and go, hey, honey, could you tell me what you think? And listen, right? Zip my lip and listen. You know, it's never too late to have a deep conversation with anybody. It's never too late to have a deep conversation and and get to the heart of something. Okay, fair enough. So that's the philosophical level. Then there's the emotional level. You hurt my feelings. I'm jealous. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm hurt. You know, there's hurts that are unresolved in relationships that cloud everything. 
And sometimes those hurts are not even based on facts. Like there's a misunderstanding. Yeah. And assumptions. Totally. And we think it's true. And the more we don't talk about it, the more true we think it is. Right. Right. Like I really thought my husband didn't like to talk and, and lo and behold, I was wrong. That was a great example of like him being willing to say how he felt, right? Like when he said, that's like a physical assault to me, I was like, oh, I did not understand how you felt. <laughs> like, I hear you. And that hearing is so profound. So a lot of the, what, you know, to answer your question, what does it look like? It looks like two people learning how to listen to each other, okay. learning how to be safe to talk to, and then learning how to listen because you've decided that being able to say anything and everything to this human is your highest ideal, is what intimacy is, is what a partnership is for. You know, you'd be willing to say everything that you need to say to that human and, and you make it safe for each other to do that. So that's the emotional level. I love that. And just to like bring this home, I'll actually say things to my husband now at this point where I'm like, I actually think I'm just telling myself this story, but let me tell you the story that I'm telling myself. Exactly. If you frame it like that, right, then the person can really listen and really hug you and love you and, you know, pat your cute little brain and go, okay, <laughs> thanks for sharing. And it, it also, it can turn the ego down a little bit. Totally. Totally. And the, the other thing is we ratchet shit up because no one's listening. Yeah. <laughs> we we over-dramatize because no one's listening, but if someone's actually listening, things can be diffused much more quickly in relationships. Oh my God. Am I the only one that if my husband ignores me, like that's the fastest way to turn me into some sort of psycho? Totally. It's not just You're me, not right? the only one. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's an epidemic. <laughs> if men, if men only understood how much a woman just wants to be heard, <laughs> she does not need you to fix it. She just hear her, please. No matter how crazy she sounds. In fact, the crazier she sounds, the more you should just hear her. But men get so upset when we get crazy. Right? They're like, no, I have to fix it. This is not okay, right? Because their mothers must have gotten upset, right? And it was too scary. So it's so scary when we get upset for a man. He just wants to make it stop. Right. That was number two. What was number three? Physical integrity. Spiritual, emotional, physical. Physical integrity is like, okay, what do we need to put in place in our relationship to keep the candle burning? And, okay. you know... At the beginning, it comes naturally. It's hormonal. You want to make mixtapes. You want to, you know, look into each other's eyeballs. You want to try new things in bed. You want to tell, you know, deep hidden secrets. You want to do all that at the beginning. But what do you do to maintain whatever? What do you do to maintain the experience that you want to maintain is physical integrity. So it's as simple as we have sex twice a week, right? That is a promise. That is reliable. That is going to happen. But the idea that I was going to wait with two little kids, now three, that I was going to wait to get in the mood? Laughable. Yeah, for like 18 years. I'll, I'll get in the mood when they go to college. Exactly. I get in the mood because I believe in having sex with my husband because I know how connected it makes me because I know it makes me feel better because I know it's great for us. And so I get myself in the mood, period. And it fits in my schedule along with everything else, along with stretching, meditating, work. This is what life is for. But life is also for sex. It's an area of life and you cannot ignore it. It doesn't go away if you ignore it. What does it do when the wife is just so clearly not interested? I mean, the, if you're going to generalize, you have to know that most men really need and want and desire sex. And if they don't seem to need, want, and desire sex, either they're unusual, which is possible, or they have shut it down because they don't want to pressure you or they don't want to make you feel bad or they're getting it somewhere else or something, right? So it's, it's a big deal. And I don't think we, I think on some level we know that, but not really. Like we don't really understand that the way we feel when we get listened to is the way they feel when they get a up. Like it's, <laughs> it's deeply nourishing to them in a way that is not, you know, I hope can, we cannot demonize, right? That, that sex is a kind of communion for most men that is different than what it is for women. 
I think we understand that academically, but it's still super easy to excuse our way out of it and just be like, yeah, but. Yeah. Well, I think what a lot of women do is it's a power struggle in a relationship. So maybe the man has power in some ways, but a woman, you know, hopefully has control over her body and whether or not she's going to be pleased. A man does desperately want to see his his partner happy in general and sexually, which is huge. And, and if he can make her happy sexually, I mean, men really get excited about making you happy sexually. That's why so many women are faking orgasms is because they know how much the man is deeply attached to being able to quote unquote satisfy them. So a man gets turned on by knowing that he is turning his mm-hmm. partner on, mm-hmm. whereas a woman gets turned on by knowing that she turns him on. <laughs> We aren't excited by the man getting right. turned on. Exactly. It's the feeling that we're doing it. In other words, we're both focused on us, right? W- women and yeah. men are, are focused <laughs> on ourselves, which is how it should be. The woman is different than the man. If we all just decided like, okay, from now on, the highest ideal is going to be me having pleasure. Everybody, everybody cool with that? <laughs> Pretty much life, life would get very good for, for everybody. It sounds so selfish, but it's actually biologically true. So it's okay. (laughs) It really, really, it doesn't take a lot for a man to ejaculate. Notice it takes a lot for a woman to, to, for women to orgasm, but it's kind of in the design that it takes some attention and it takes some care from the woman and the partner, which makes sure you know how to sexually please yourself so that you can either partner up during sex or teach your partner how to do it. Yes, if you have a totally selfish lover who doesn't give a crap and is essentially using you, you're not going that's not going to work. But I have a lover who wants to please me, who is willing to do things that I want to try and do, right? So so he know he's like he can relax. It's a sure thing I'm going to have an orgasm. You're like I'm a sure thing. I can relax because I've learned about my body. I've taken control. I've I'm designing my life in the area of sex. It's the same as any area, like exercise or work or wherever you excel. Why can't you do that in bed? Of course you can. Of course you can. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's possible. And there's there's a pathway to it. Okay, fair enough. And so when your man knows that he has the power to please you, that is incredibly stabilizing for him and dead sexy for him as well, as we already said. You say we also need to make regular time for each other and treat it as sacred. What does that look like in your life? Oh my God, it's so stupidly simple, but we don't do it. So in my life, I literally have a bedtime slumber party with my husband every night at 10 o'clock on the dot. And if I am even one minute late, it's a hundred pushups for me before bed. Okay. So I'm never late. He is never late. So it just means we have a dedicated half an hour where there's nothing to do but talk to each other. Um, when we first came out, out of our near divorce experience, it was a very choreographed meeting where we both had very specific questions we would ask and answer of each other that would really elicit love and appreciation. So we'd each say something we love about each other. We would acknowledge each other. We would say what we were proud of from our day. I would always ask him what I could do for him. I still do that because I'm working on my selfishness. He would always say, you know, one thing he didn't want to say. That was one of his questions. So in the beginning, it was a very choreographed, designed kind of conversation because we really needed scaffolding and help, you know, getting to where we needed to get to. But over the years, it has morphed and changed and we keep redesigning it. But regardless, it's uninterrupted time. The door is locked. There are no children. It's 10 to 1030 minimally. And that is our special time. So I, I don't have to bother him at work. He doesn't have to bother me at work. 
we know we have that dedicated time together every night and we know twice a week we're having sex. We don't always know when, but we know that. And that's regular time. That's sacred. And we have date night. It's a cliche, but it works. You know, if you know you're going to have special time with undivided attention with your partner, it's relaxing to your psyche. That's impressive. Listen, in your divorce experience is a good spanking, right? It's a good yeah, spanking yeah, to sure. get you for to sure. realize you cannot take this stuff for granted. And also there's a, such a positive feedback loop because it's so nice when you do it, right? It, you, you know, you don't want to stop doing it once you start. So it's just the starting that's hard. Don't you find people are scared of being vulnerable with their partner, which is hilarious because, <laughs> you know, this is your this is your partner in life or your long-term partner. And we're scared to be vulnerable with them in that manner and be silly and open yeah. up with them. Yeah. And it, it's like, but this is your this is your person. Right. Everybody wants the other one to go first. Like you, you be, you be unsafe. For, you be vulnerable first. I'm like, no, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going first. <laughs> Sorry. We voted to you. Tell me about how you make him your hero. And let me just say one feminist to another. I believe in this. And I don't think that we are giving up our power to increase our partners. Beautiful. 10 years ago, I would have been like, Oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hell to the no. I will be the hero here. Right? Yeah. And I get it. I can wear a cape too. And I am so comfortable and secure in my own power that I don't need to take away from his. But 25-year-old me did not know that. Talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I had a very similar evolution. That's why, honestly, I had to do a lot of work on myself first. I did. I had to get my own whole dose of self-esteem and self-love before I could stop diminishing him in order to ma make myself feel better, which is, you know, I learned that as a sibling, right? Because <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a competition and I got to win. And there's, there's only one pie to share. And so I was just repeating that again with my husband. And I didn't even realize I was competing with him, which is so crazy because we're, we're a joint resume. You know, we're, we're a team. It's crazy to compete with the person who's part of your team. It, it was a revelation to me as well as the more I did my own work on myself that if he wins, I win. And even if he wins with me, Right. Not just if he wins in the world, like I could compete with him in the world. Like, oh, I'm smarter. I'm funnier. I'm, you know, more social. I'm whatever doing better at my work. What I could compete with him in the world. But but even more than that, like if he wins with me, like if he succeeds at making me happy, literally, I could go down for dinner. I, I work on the fourth floor. Dinner's on the second floor at my, in my house. And I have a choice. I could show up happy and pleased and like finding all the things that are great about him. Or I could show up like, oh, you forgot this. You didn't do that. What's wrong with those pants? You know, like I literally have that choice. Every moment of interaction with him, is he going to be someone I'm, I remember I picked? Or is he going to be someone who gets the brunt of my anxiety and my judgments? Oh, and boy, does that change his day. Lori, when you have done this work with your husband, when you have reestablished a friendship and you allow room for mystery and sexiness in your relationship, and you're still trying to court one another, mm. how do you deal with real conflict? What do you say to the people who need to work on how they manage conflict mm. when they are in good relationships? Yeah, right. Conflict will happen because of one of three reasons. Number one, you philosophically don't agree and you haven't negotiated it. Or you don't even know. You're like, oh, he thinks he should be better than me and I think we should be equal. And But you don't know that you actually agree. So philosophical differences. Second is someone got their feelings hurt, right? And then if you can if you can do the process of speaking and listening that we teach, obviously that can get, you know, sort of de-escalated and it can be used to increase intimacy instead of decrease it. And then the third reason for conflict is a lack of physical integrity. Somebody's literally not doing what needs to be done. Right. You don't have a meeting to plan logistics. So you keep fighting over the logistics going wrong or you don't teach your children how to do chores. So you, you know, one person keeps getting stuck with them or whatever. 
So physical integrity is the third issue. Whichever it is, you do need to learn how to fight and you need to learn how to fight fairs and you need to know which one you're in. Are you in philosophical where you can sit down and have a debate or are you in emotional where one of you has to listen and take notes? Or are you in physical where you can actually just make an agreement and stick to it? This is where I think having a coach or a third party is so helpful, even for the healthiest of couples. Because as you said, conflict is natural. It's it's bad if you don't have it. <laughs> exactly. But you do need to learn how to clean up messes, how to listen to each other's pain, how to hold space, as they say, for other people while they go through whatever they're going through without taking it personally. And you need to learn how to make and keep promises to each other. And it's, it is way easier if you're doing it with a coach, right? With somebody who will hold you to account and who likes you and thinks you're awesome versus a partner who it shouldn't be the one holding you to account, honestly, right? Like that's not really the role of a partner. Oh, that's interesting. We do that to our partners though, right. don't we? We sure do. Like you made me eat this bad food. You made these kids. <laughs> right, right. They're yours. <laughs> Lori, this has been interesting, eye-opening, and I'm sure provocative for many. What would you leave us with when it comes to inspiring our own personal accountability in our relationships, parting thoughts? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's so cool because it all, does really come back to taking stock of your own life and your own happiness because the greatest gift you can give your partner is your own personal integrity, your own love of yourself and your life and your own ability to design your life. Because when a person is whole within themselves and loves themselves, they have so much more to give. There's so much less conflict. Really, I do think that each if each human being went to work on their own happiness and their own wholeness, relationships would kind of fall into place a little better. I think one of the hardest things to do, but the easiest to appreciate the truth in is be the partner you want to experience. Yes. Like, you be that person. And, yes. And truly, a lot can happen by magic. <laughs> so true. So glad you are closing on that note. Perfect. Lori, thanks. Have a good bye. one. All right. Bye, everybody. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.